Well, good morning again. And you know, one of the most important questions that we'll ever answer ourselves and one of the most important things we'll ever help other people answer for themselves is who is gonna go to heaven? You know, that's a question that the Bible answers pretty clearly. And, and uh, when we look at it, sometimes it's kind of, you know, hits us right between the eyes and it's uh, very, very upfront. And, and uh, sometimes we have issues, you know, with the, I guess, the, the confrontational manner of the gospel, it being so cut and dry when you, when you read the, the, the scripture. And uh, I can kind of think back when my kids were little, they were like five, six uh, years old, four years old. And uh, my grandmother had just passed away. And so we were talking with them just about, you know, grandma's go- in heaven and, and uh, they were dealing with death and for the first time. And, and so uh, they were getting ready for bed and we were getting ready to, you know, we do the whole, you know, routine to get them uh, uh, in their beds and asleep at night. And, and uh, they all started to come down the steps instead of going to their rooms after they did their, you know, brushing their teeth and stuff. They, they all came down the steps and it's kind of like, you know, when you're young and your, your dad says, hey, we need to talk. You're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? You know, this is like a big moment that you got to talk about something important. Well, when they come down, they have this serious, you know, look on their face and I'm just like, oh great, what is this going to be about? You know, and, and uh, so my oldest, uh, Bailey at the time, she said, uh, dad, we just want to know, um, are our loveys going to go to heaven? Now, you might be asking, what is a lovey? Well, all of our kids had a stuffed animal that they slept with every single night, right? And so uh, you, had, you had Teddy, you had Yaya, you had Dolly, and then Baby. <laughs> real, real creative name for the last one there. But, but so she was asking, are we going to get to take these stuffed animals to heaven? Are they going to go to heaven with us? Now, I've, I've got two seminary degrees. Like I know the answer to this question, right? You know the answer to this question. But in this moment, I'm wrestling with the idea that do I want to set them in a panic? Do I want to upset bedtime? Or do I just want to go back to the couch and get them asleep, right? You know, as a dad, you're always kind of managing some of that stuff. And so I just decided in that moment that I wasn't going to like, you know, uh, go into this theological sermon for them. So I just said, well, Bailey, go ask your mother. (laughs) Just kidding. I didn't say that. I, well, really what I said was, look, I was like, guys, uh, you know, yes, God's going to let, you know, Teddy go to heaven and, you know, it's just going to be great. You're going to be with Jesus. You're going to see grandma. And, you know, I just kind of painted that whole picture and, and, uh, you know, they went to bed, you know, they were satisfied. And so I just remember that night, you know, going back to the couch and starting to feel that guilt, you know, like, oh man, did I just, did I not do that? Well, I think as a parent, I often am asking that question. Did I mess them up? Did I do something that I shouldn't have said, or I should have had a better answer? you know, and, and so uh, I, I was thinking about that this week, that story, and it really, it really has, a, you know, some parallels to what we're going to talk about today. And, and, and the reason is because sometimes we even struggle with that, you know, not just with little kids, but just like with adults. Instead of saying, this is the person that will go to heaven. This is the person that, you know, will be blessed. This is the per- this is what the word of God says. Oftentimes, because, 
you know, we don't want to deal with it. Uh, it's a little too confrontational. We don't want to get in an argument or whatever those reasons are. Oftentimes, even in churches, we'll see and hear about a watered down gospel. We'll, we'll water it down and, and just kind of, you know, smooth it over and just say, well, you know what? God's going to love you and he's going to get you through that. What you're doing is not, you know, that bad. And I'm sure God's going to say you're OK, you know, and and we just kind of gloss over the reality of what the scripture says. And I think in in the passage of scripture that we're going to be in today, we're we're going to be tempted to do that because it's very tense. The first service, we were just tense the whole time because we're we're reading some really hard truths and it makes us uncomfortable. So just warning on that. But if you've got a Bible, go to first Corinthians chapter six or the app we're going to read. And he starts with I'm going to start in verse nine and, and because he answers or begins to ask a question that he really answers through the whole chapter. But in verse nine, he starts off by saying this. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So it's a question, but it's also, you know, we could, we could turn this into a statement. And the statement is simply, the unrighteous people will not get to go to heaven. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not go to heaven. And so obviously my question is, who are the unrighteous? Am I the unrighteous? Uh, we, we have to make this call. We've got to look at the word of God. We want to make this decision because if the unrighteous are not going to go to heaven, I know for my own life, like I am unrighteous in so many ways. And so does that mean I'm, I'm not going to get to go? Well, let's read this whole chapter together and he'll begin to drop this into some categories and help us understand this today. So let's go back to verse one where he says this. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent uh, to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. What's happening here, I'll summarize it like this. The unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God are the self-proclaimed Christians who defraud other Christians by taking them to court. It's essentially what he is saying. At the, at the time in the life of the Corinthian church, they were having, in verse two, it says trivial uh, disputes. And so uh, he's saying, why are you taking these trivial matters before a judge. You're taking your brother in Christ to court over a trivial matter. Shouldn't you just sit down with the wise people in your church and figure this out? Wouldn't it be better if you just were wronged and suffered a wrong here than to actually take a Christian brother or sister to court over this matter? That's essentially what he's saying. So is it wrong to take a Christian brother or sister to court? And the answer would be in, in the case of a trivial matter, 
Yes, you shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. That, would, that wouldn't be the right thing, essentially, is what he's saying. It'd be unrighteous for me to take you to court over a trivial matter. Now, this isn't a criminal um, type of offense. He's not saying if someone commits a crime against you and they, they claim to be a Christian, you're not supposed to take them to court. That's not what he's saying. Obviously, those are uh, uh, crimes that we would need to go to court over. But in verse two, that word trivial is important. So basically they were having disagreements. Maybe they, they offended each other. Maybe they had some kind of issue over whatever it was. And instead of sitting down as Christian brothers and sisters and dealing with it and, you know, bringing in maybe the elders or some other spiritual leaders in their life to kind of work through this, they just took, they were just taking each other to court. And Paul says, that's not right. And, and, and what makes it even worse is that you're, you as a fellow Christian are, are going before an unbeliever. Someone who would, would not even know the Bible or know Jesus is going to make a judgment about your case. And so that's the, that, that's the problem here, right? He says, don't do that. That would not be right. So the unrighteous are the self-proclaimed Christians who defraud other Christians by taking them to court. Now you might ask, well, is it ever right? Maybe it's not a crime, but should I, should, you know, if somebody does something to me, is it ever okay to take somebody to court who says they're a Christian? And, and this is kind of a gray area in the Bible. And so when he says trivial, you know, what you might uh, say is trivial, I might say is an important deal. Like it's not trivial to me, right? And so there is some discrepancy there. So that's where you kind of have to use wisdom in these matters and, 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 and really kind of dive in. Is this a legal, like criminal type case? And if so, then I think the scripture gives us freedom to actually, you know, yes, take people to court who have committed a crime, obviously against us. And some of these other, you know, matters that may be in the gray area, we just have to have wisdom in that and do our best. I think this is the key. As Christians, we do our best to try to stay out of the courtroom and to stay within um, a relationship in God's church to be able to work through difficulties and challenges. And so I think that's the point. Let's keep reading in verse nine. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, do, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So let me summarize this section by saying this, the unrighteous, those who aren't gonna inherit the kingdom of God, are those who practice sexual sin. And he goes into a list of idolaters, uh, those who practice homosexuality, these um, sins that are sexual in nature. And so the context of this church, remember, the city of Corinth is, is at the southern tip of Greece. And so it was a very um, popular 
uh, port city. And so a lot of people would have been importing and exporting a lot of goods in this area, a lot of wealthy people in this area, a uh, very diverse area. So uh, it was also a popular um, they, so you have the Olympics and like the second to the Olympics was called the Isthmus Games. And so that was uh, done and held in Corinth. So, so athleticism and um, uh, sporting events was a huge deal in this city. And so wealth, sports um, and sex was a huge deal. They had a massive temple to the goddess Aphrodite. That's who they worship. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And there were over a thousand prostitutes at the temple. And so you would go to the temple and sleep with a prostitute as an act of worship to the goddess Aphrodite. And this was very uh, accepted. This was not a big deal. Everybody did this and they thought, you know what? This is not an issue. And so the problem though, was even the Corinthian Christians who were in the church were continuing to practice this type of behavior. And so this is where Paul steps in here and he says, wait a minute. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And so what he's doing is he's quoting a popular saying of the time, right? We have these popular sayings of, of, of our day and time. And, and this all things are lawful statement was one of those statements at that time, which was said all the time. And so basically kind of like we might say carpe diem, right? Seize the day. And that, that's kind of like a mantra for them. Like it's not illegal for me to have sex, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to do this with whoever and whenever I want to. But Paul says, yeah, it might be lawful in the court of law in this city, but not all things are helpful, right? And that's a great statement for us to kind of internalize no matter what, what kind of decision we're making. Is it, is it lawful to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is you're thinking about doing or experiencing? Maybe it's not a crime, but is it helpful? Is it helpful? That's the question a mature Christian would ask, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul's saying, I'm not going to be dominated by my sexual appetite. So the, the, the common statement as well was, was this statement about food and food is meant for the stomach, right? And so when your stomach is hungry, it starts to let your brain know, right? Your brain starts to tell you that you're hungry and, and it's a very natural and normal thing that when your stomach begins to growl that you just begin to go find some food and you eat, right? And so what they're saying is, uh, it was very popular for them to say, look, sex is just like our appetite for food. You know what, our body was meant for sex. And as soon as, you know, my body feels like I need to have sex, then I just, just go to the, go to the temple and find somebody and I, and, and, and then I do it. Just like when I'm hungry, I find something to eat. There's nothing wrong with this essentially is the way that they were living. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You don't want to be dominated by feeling, right? Don't be dominated by your feeling for food. Don't be dominated by your feeling for sex. He says, this is not the way God intended it in our life. He wants us to live in freedom. He doesn't want us to live in bondage to a feeling like hunger or to a feeling to have sex. He says, this is not the way that you're going to experience freedom in your life. To live free means that you don't have to use people to, to, to you know, get a feeling in, in, in your life. You know, and anytime you're committing adultery, 
which, which I define adultery as having sex with anybody that is not your spouse, uh, right? So that means if you're, you know, you, maybe you're not even married today, you can commit adultery if you're sleeping with someone who is not your, your husband or your wife. And so what, what, what I think is important is when we do that, sex outside of marriage, we're using that person and we're being dominated by that feeling that we want to experience, right? And so we use people to get that feeling. Paul would say you're being dominated by your feelings and it ought not to be that way. And he goes on to explain why this is so devastating in verse 15. He says, do not know that your bodies are members of Christ. And we forget this as Christians, like it's not just a, a head knowledge that we know Jesus. We're actually in a relationship with him and we're actually connected to him, that, that our bodies are members of Christ. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? He says, never. Or do you not know that, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body or one flesh, Genesis chapter two, that one flesh union with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He says, listen, listen, don't you know that your body is a member of Christ? And so sex is a gift, yes, that God gives to us to enjoy in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And when we practice sex outside of God's plan, it is sin. It causes pain in your life. And so in the list of sins, he uses the word adultery. This one flesh union, he says, is more than just a physical um, uh, unification. He says our members are joined with Christ. And, and so this is more, more than just a physical union. It's an emotional connection, even a spiritual connection that takes place. And so we have to be wise. Is it lawful? Like you're not going to go to jail necessarily, but is it helpful? Don't be dominated by your feelings. And so it's important that we understand God's design for sex. He goes into verse nine and he says that homosexuality is a sin as well. Obviously in our culture, this is very, um, uh, very just controversial. This is where, you know, we as Christians are, are kind of, you know, in this, how do we handle this and what do we say? And kind of going back to my story earlier, like, are, are we going to sugarcoat or smooth over? And you know what, it just, you know, it's, it, you know, it's your decision. And, or do we hold true to the, the reality of, of, of what the word of God actually says? I, I think in our culture, it's not enough just to have the freedom to practice sexual sin, but, but, but our culture wants to take pride in sexual sin, right? And so that's what uh, this, this term pride is so, you know, popular and be proud and take pride in who uh, you're gonna sleep with. And, and we read the Bible in James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, right? He, he gives grace to the humble, but our culture just wants, wants to take pride in sexual sin and then wants Christians and everyone else just to accept it and say it's okay. And, and so the, the, this pride movement wants us to affirm it and, and every single one of us are, are, are gonna make a decision of how we're, we're gonna deal with this. It was very enlightening for me to watch this new documentary uh, by a guy named Matt Walsh called What is a Woman? 
And so basically what he did is he traveled the country and he's asking um, politicians, he's asking psychologists, doctors, uh, professors, and he's saying, uh, can you give me a definition for a woman? What is a woman? And sure, he goes to San Francisco, he goes to Boston, but he also goes to the University of Tennessee. So it's not like this is some foreign land that people are saying this, It's, it's right here at home. And basically those that would be Um, contrary to scripture, uh, at this point are not even able to give a definition for what a woman is. And so what he finds is that people will say, well, a woman is anybody who uh, feels like they're a woman. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, uh, can you give me a definition of a woman without using the word woman? And it's like, uh, so what we're experiencing is a very, very confused world. And what we're experiencing now is like this, this um, concept of if you're not accepting, then you're hateful, right? We know this. In fact, the Tampa Bay uh, Rays uh, had a pride night last week and uh, the players were asked to wear the rainbow logo. And there were five players that said, we're not going to wear the logo. And immediately they were deemed as bigots and hateful. And of course, they were uh, men of faith. And so, you know, Christians were thrown under the bus, you know, and, 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 and held in a negative light. And so we, again, have to be honest. Honest. Are we going to sugarcoat? Are we going to gloss over? Or is there, for, is there a way for us to say, no, this is God's plan, you know, and, and this is God's desire where you're going to find happiness and where you're going you're gonna to find uh, ultimately faith in Jesus that will take you to heaven, or you're going to choose a path that is contrary to God's word. And now I, I, I think that we can, you know, be loving in that discussion and we can be loving with, with how we approach that conversation. But I think it is very unloving for us to compromise the truth or to water it down. Eternity is at stake. And so I think it's important that we understand this. This is where we get our morality. Passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is where we we are, uh, get to a, 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 a scriptural ethic of what it means to, to live a life of righteousness. And, and so this isn't something that we can just, you know, speed our way through. First Corinthians 1.8 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So of course the world, when we talk about the gospel, is gonna say it's foolishness, but to us, it's the power of God. You probably saw recently where um, in Dallas, Texas, there was a drag show for elementary age kids. You see that? There was one in Pennsylvania. There was one in Iowa as well, in a public school, by the way. And you know, bringing in elementary kids to expose them to, to this, I just think this is child abuse. This is, these kids are not even capable to comprehend what's happening here, but this is where culture is, is moving and taking. And if you think that our public schools around here are exempt, that's your first mistake. Um, we might be a few years behind some of these bigger cities, but, but it is on its way. And uh, I'm sure already there in some capacity. And so, uh, we want to take the, 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 the truth of Scripture into culture because we know the truth of Scripture will lead to freedom, will lead to um, heaven, will lead uh, to spiritual health. And I do want us to remember that in Matthew 10, Jesus said that the world will, will hate you for my name's sake. So this is part of it. 
And if we're afraid to be hated, if we're afraid to be uh, called names because we stand for truth, then, then we're, we're already behind the eight ball. We either believe this and we cling to it as truth or, or we don't. And I think this is why Paul brings it up and why he says in verse 18 to run or to flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin, you might say, why? Why run from it? Every other sin, he says, a person commits outside the body. But sexual immorality, a person sins against his own body. So there's something that is, that is, that is even more, um, uh, just more intrinsically uh, offensive. There's just something even more detrimental about sexual sin, more so than another sin. Why? Because it is committed against our own body. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Think about that for a minute. We forget this. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you as a believer. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. So often we say, I can't hear God. I don't feel like he's there. Well, well, he is, if you're a believer, he is. It might take some time to, to, to clear your head and to begin to hear from him and to, to feel his presence, but he is real, he is there. And so this is why, again, this is one of those sins that is, it is darker and is deeper and it, it wounds deeper than, than, than maybe other sins do because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your bodies. We glorify God with our body by keeping it pure, take, taking care of our body. Right. This is another part of, of why we want to eat well, why we don't want to put foreign things in our body that would would cause negative uh, reactions. This is the motive not to, you know, look good or, you know, not to, you know, buy into this materialistic society. But no, because our bodies were bought with a price and and we're called to steward our bodies. Well, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, something speci especially harmful about sexual sin that we need to be aware of at deep emotional connection. So the unrighteous are those who practice sexual sin. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous are those who practice sins of selfish gain, selfish gain. And so if you look at the list again in verse 10, he's talking about uh, being a thief. He talks about greed, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. All of these will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we know what uh, being a thief is, somebody who steals. So do you steal? Uh, those who would, would, would uh, be a thief are not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. The reviler, this is a gossip, this is a slanderer. Somebody who slanders someone else. He or she will not inherit the kingdom of God. Someone who is greedy. Right. Never has enough, always needs more, not content with what they have. I got to have more, 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 more and more. The swindler. This is the person that's dishonest in business. And so dishonest, a little shady. Why? So that they can have material game so they can make the, the sell or whatever it is. The drunkard. Yes. Over drinking and, and, and putting our bodies in that state. He's making this list and he's saying, this is what I, unrighteousness looks like. And if you do this, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. 
So I could spend all day talking about homosexuality, but then I would read this list and I would say, well, wait a minute, that's a sin that is in the entire list. And if I were honest, such were some of you, such were me. In verse 11, he says, this is the way you used to live. You see, the truth is we look at this list and every single one of us are guilty. You've gossiped, you've slandered someone, you've been greedy, you've, been a, you, you, you've done something shady in business, you've stolen before, maybe you've committed sexual sin. And so we read this list and we're like, whoa, 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 we're all unrighteous. Every single one of us in the room and watching today, like we are unrighteous. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the beauty of this passage is that Paul is saying such were some of you. You used to live this way. Now you have faith in Jesus. Remember, he's talking to Christians and he's saying you used to live like that. So don't go back to that kind of lifestyle. Don't go back to that sin. You've been bought. You've been paid for. Jesus has saved you and he's calling you to a new life. And so every single one of us have to recognize that we are the unrighteous. But at the same time, if you know the gospel, you know that Jesus dies on the cross so that he could pay for your sins. I owed God a debt. You owed God a debt because of your sin. But Jesus is paying that debt by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. And when he raises from the grave, he proves that he is who he said he was. And that he has the authority and the power to forgive sins and to offer us eternal life. And so when we come to Jesus and we say, yes, I want to give my life to you, Jesus. I'm going to put my faith in you. I used to be a reviler and greedy and sexual sin and all this unrighteousness, but now you saved me. Now I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Such were some of you. But because of your faith in Jesus, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. Washed, that means your sins have been washed away. Sanctified, by faith in Jesus, he declares you holy. Justified, that means that God has declared you righteous before him. That he looks at you and he doesn't see all the unrighteous sin that you have committed. He sees the righteousness of Jesus that has washed you and made you a child of God, that has sanctified you and freed you from your past sin, that has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, allowing you to have success over sin in your life and and giving you the ability to experience true joy in this life. Jesus forgave us even though we were sinners. He embraced us as a child of God and he adopted us into his family. Even though we didn't deserve it, he offered it to us and he gave it to us. And so the implications of this new identity in Christ is that we live a completely different life than before Christ. Instead of taking a brother or sister in Christ to court over a trivial matter, What do we do when we're wronged by a fellow believer? Leave church, run away, gossip, slander. No, we forgive, we forgive. 
The implications of this new identity means that we don't practice sexual sin. If it happens, we are quick to confess and agree with God that it is wrong and that it is sin. And when you understand this, instead of living with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you say, you know what? It's time that we grow up and we take our faith seriously. Ask her to marry you, get married and do it God's way, or at least move out, at least move out. The implications of this new identity means that instead of gossip, instead of stealing, drunkenness, we guard our lips, we work hard, we're honest in business, we don't steal, we don't rip people off, right? We live a righteous life. Those who want to inherit the kingdom of God will now live in a different light. And you might say, well, man, I am a believer, but Sometimes I fall into these sins. Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? And, and the difference is, are you practicing as a habit some of these sexual sins? Are you practicing as a habit some of these other sins? And if it's a habit in your life, then I would, I would encourage you to think about your salvation moment. Have you truly given your life to Jesus? Because that would be my first question. If we are living in sin and we don't care, we're not agreeing with God, we read these scriptures and say, eh, I don't believe it. I'm just gonna do what I wanna do. Then I would say, you need to question that salvation moment. But if you're a believer, yeah, you might fall into these sins, but today is kind of like a convicting day, isn't it? And it's like, yes, okay, I, I've got to change this. I wanna change this. I need, to, I need to get things right with God. That's what you're thinking if you're a believer today. That's what you're thinking. That's what you're experiencing those who will inherit the kingdom of God, verse seven, are joined to the Lord. Verse 20, are bought with a price. And so we're joined with Jesus by faith in him. And yes, you will inherit the kingdom of God if you have faith in Jesus. Going back to this question, who will inherit the kingdom of God? The idea of an inheritance, right? You're gonna inherit the kingdom of God. You're gonna inherit heaven. Right? How do, we, how do we get this? You, you don't earn an inheritance, do you? You don't earn an inheritance. You inherit something because of a, of a relationship that you had with that person. Mother, a father, you had a relationship with them. They leave you an inheritance. You inherit it. You didn't earn it, but you receive it because of the relationship that you had with that person. In the same way, you can't earn your salvation. You can't live a righteous, a, a good enough life, a righteous life and earn the kingdom of God, earn heaven. It is, it is given to you, right, by faith in Jesus. And for some of you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You, you, you haven't been able to experience the, the promise of this inheritance because you don't have a relationship with him. And I just wanna give you an opportunity to do that Today, Some of you maybe have been on the verge of this decision for a while, but you hear this and you think about eternity, you think about heaven. And for you, you're not sure where you would go. You're not sure where um, your spirit would live forever once you die from this uh, life. And so let me give you an opportunity to do that today. Would you just bow your heads here in Maryville and there in Knoxville as well? If everyone would just bow their heads and 
If you wanna give your life to Jesus today, if you wanna wanna experience this faith in him, he will offer and give that to you right here in this moment. You just simply tell him, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I confess that I am a sinner. Come into my life and save me today, right here, right now, save me. And I commit to live my life for him for the rest of my life. I wonder here in Maryville and and even in Knoxville today, if you just prayed that prayer, you meant that, would you just slip up your hand and let me know who you are? Like, I just prayed that, Trent. I just gave my life to Jesus. Ma'am, I see you up there. Praise God. Anybody else here in Maryville? Pastor Greg's looking in Knoxville. Anybody else? Sir, I see your hand. Praise God. Anybody else? I just, I just prayed that. I saw two or three people that made that decision. I wanna encourage you, if you made that decision, stop by our care and prayer room today and let them know what you did. Scan the QR code and, and from the seat back in front of you. Let us know the decision that you made today. We wanna give you some resources that'll help you and just pray with you, encourage you today. This is the most important decision that you could ever make in your entire life. And, and so church family, whether you're in Knoxville or you're here with me in Maryville, can we just all give a round of applause for those decisions that were made? We're thankful for that. For the rest of us, I know this is a challenging day. And so let's pray that God would help us uh, work through some of these issues and struggles that we have. Let me pray for you today. Father, we read a list of sins, Lord, and we just feel the weight of our guilt sometimes, God. Help us to be reminded that in Jesus we're forgiven. Help us be reminded that you don't see our sin any longer, but that you see the righteousness of Jesus that has been given to us. And so I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would give every single one of us strength to overcome sin in our life, strength to be able to stand for truth, not not shy away from the truth or be embarrassed about the truth. Give us a boldness, God, because we know that it is the power of God unto salvation. And we want our friends and family and community to experience that power that you offer And so, Lord, help us to communicate it well and stand for it well. We do it for you because we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.